This is Shelby Hansen, and you're listening to episode 56 with special guest Aida Mosier on how to build a thriving life while experiencing anxiety and depression. Welcome to the Creating Your Beautiful Life podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Hansen. I'm an invisible illness warrior, kidney transplant recipient, mom to four, and life coach for people who have gone through incredible health challenges. On this podcast, I teach you how to move forward from difficulty and disappointment into joy and abundance as you take charge of creating your own beautiful life. I'd like to welcome a new guest for our podcast today. I have Ada Mosier, and she is going to be talking to us about how to create a life where you can thrive while living with chronic anxiety and depression. So Aida, would you please introduce yourself to my audience and tell us a little bit about you? Hi, Shelby. Thank you so much. Yes, my name is Aida Mosier. I am a life coach, and I coach women in bicultural marriages. I've been Mexican and married to an American who doesn't speak Spanish, has been a full journey, and that's why I decided to do this. Awesome. Thank you so much. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey with anxiety and depression and kind of how that showed up for you in your life? Absolutely. It really started as postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Right, I have only one child, and when he was born, I was here in the states, and all my family was in Mexico, so I did not have a support system. And as a Mexican, there's a culture, a shame culture around postpartum depression or depression itself and anxiety. Right, this is not something that we talk about because. Whenever you say, I'm going to go to the psychologist or it's like, oh, you're crazy. (laughs) And it's very common. I mean, we say it as a joke, but it's very common. There's a lot of shame on it. And looking at all of the, all of the pictures, I was really ashamed to say that I could not bond with my newborn. And all I could see was him dying. Mm. So it was, it was chronic. And debilitating, but I was able to function and just kind of mask it. It just honestly just made me be very alert all the time. I stopped sleeping. I was mean. (laughs) And I think one of the things that got me the most was that whenever I looked at my life, I say, I have everything that I need. I have a great husband, I have a beautiful child. But the images of him dying in completely different ways, things like getting on the bike, all I could think was he's going to get on a bike and somebody's going to run him over. We got on the plane to go see my family. And as soon as with the plane started moving, I kept thinking the plane is going to crash. It was everything, every little thing that we did. He started using knives. Oh, he's going to kill himself. So it didn't matter what was happening. It was just the little things. I just, my thoughts were always fatalistic. Yeah, absolutely. That's got to be so debilitating to live with, especially like the transition of 
going from being a wife to now being a mom and taking care of somebody and then always having this fear coming up. So how long did it last before you started to get some help for what was happening? About seven years. (laughs) Because I was functional enough, right? I had a full-time job, so it allowed me to go out and do some things and get my head a little bit out of it, but it also impacted my job, right? Because I was not sleeping. I wasn't really taking care of myself. So it was about seven years before I said, I cannot do this anymore. It's not sustainable. Do you think that your cultural identity is part of what kept you from seeking help earlier? I think it's part of it. Mm-hmm. I felt isolated. And it's funny because it becomes a a kind of a vicious cycle. The first part was I was ashamed of saying that I actually had that much anxiety and depression and I wasn't willing to accept it right because it was like it's just part of life which is what we say in Mexico right my cultural background says that well you should just stop it up and and that's okay and it just kept me from asking for help and the second part is that the more anxiety and depression you have the less you reach out to people Mm, and you start being isolated. So at some point I noticed that my life, which was (laughs) full of life, right? There was a lot of things going on. All of a sudden became my house. Yeah. And that was it. There was no friends. There was nothing. I wasn't reaching out because I couldn't connect with anybody. I, I mean, if I couldn't connect with myself, I could not connect with anybody. And that also prevented me from reaching out because it wasn't even, I don't think that I saw it as an option. Mm-hmm. What do you think the turning point was for you to start to reach out to get the help that you needed? I think that by the time that I realized that I was not sleeping more than two hours oh, wow. a night, and I will sit down and cry and my husband will say, honey, I don't, I don't, I know that you need something, but I, I don't know how to help you. Mm-hmm. And my kid having friends and me not being able to connect with anybody, I just got to a point that I will just come back and I will just cry. Yeah. And so one of the reasons that I had reached out to you was because you've talked about how you've taken this, these conditions, this, these diagnoses, and you've been able to create a life that you really love now and to create a thriving life. So can you tell me a little bit about what helped you to start to turn from where you had been and what, what started to to change for you to be able to, to turn the tables on this chronic anxiety and chronic, chronic depression? Yeah, it's uh, one of the the things that I find funny and ironic is that I actually went to a counselor and she prescribed antidepressants. I started taking them and I didn't take them more than a month because I noticed that yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it was more like numbing. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
I did start feeling the depression and the anxiety, but I kind of stopped feeling, period. I hit this kind of flat line mm-hmm. where, yeah, I was not feeling the lows, but I wasn't feeling the highs either. I wasn't super excited about life. And as much as I hated the lows, I think it gave me a nice plateau to decide this is not the life that I want. So I I stopped taking them and I found yoga. Uh, I actually got certified. Really? That I got certified as an instructor. And that's, that's one of the things that kept me pushing, right? Because I had to show up. Mm-hmm. So I had to show up for the exercise. I had to show up for the classes. I had to show up for the medica- meditations. And eventually it was like, oh, wait, actually, this is feeling really good. And I started walking again. I started going with my husband hiking again and that just being in nature and taking the time to go even or especially when things were really crazy and I was feeling really down. That was the first step. And now I stopped doing the therapy because they didn't really suit me. We were going in a lot into my past and my back and I didn't feel moving forward. But then I find coaching mm. and it kind of gave me between the extra, between being physical, right? Maintain myself moving, doing things. Some of the meditation, some of them were walking meditation. Some of them were just guided meditation or even five minutes or journaling. And the coaching helped me kind of focus on what I have right now and moving forward. I realized that I may always have some depression and some anxiety. And that's normal. But it doesn't have to dominate my life. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, I am a huge fan of meditation, too. I really like EFT tapping as well. Um, But for me, meditation was a way to understand that I was not my thoughts, that I was having thoughts, and it changed the relationship with a lot of like the anxiety thoughts that I used to struggle with. And so I wonder, um, what is it about meditation and yoga do you think that helped to calm the anxiety in your body? For me, has been the movement. I noticed for me, yoga is meditation and movement. Meditation at the beginning was really hard for me. Like Mm -hmm. I can't sit still. But the moving part of it is just connecting with my body. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I'm focused on, oh, this is the way that things feel. It allowed me to get back into my body and help actually feel. Because I had disconnected with so many years of the depression and the anxiety. I have disconnected from my actual feelings, right? So I started to figure out what does it feel to feel joy? What was the anxiety feeling? What was sadness? It allowed me to discover all of those. And the breathing just helped me relax the body because it was noticing in my body. My body was super tense. I couldn't move. So it started, I started making a difference. And at that point, I was able to get different thoughts too. It was like, oh, 
I don't have to think about my kid dying all the time. Is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No. Ooh, that's so good. <laughs> if you, if any of you out there have anxiety, I feel like that is such a beautiful thought. Like, is it possible? Yes. Probable? No. Because I think it's hard to stop anxiety in its tracks sometimes. And so rather than just telling anxiety to go away, it's just like kind of just moving with it too. And trying to just see like, what, what is this leading to me, me too? So um, I think it's really fascinating too, that you talk about getting into your body because as people with chronic illness, so many of us, we live in our heads, which is what you're talking about with this anxiety, like these thoughts that just won't stop and always telling you these fearful stories. Um, we tend to live in our brains, in our heads and let our brains boss our body around and tell us to push too hard, to do too much and not listen to what's going on in your body. So that's one of the things like I talk to my clients about a lot is how do you, um, is in, an invitation to inhabit your whole body, to let your um, awareness go everywhere, which I think yoga does really well in teaching that concept too, because that when you, when you physically change your 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 body you change where you're moving it changes your mind automatically just like you said too it does there's there's really a chemistry right there's that chemistry effect the hormones that start releasing when you start moving i love that and so um coaching looks different to different people so what do you like what is the coaching that helped you like what were the things that were helpful for you to start to change the tide. Some of the things that helped me, I think that one of the most important ones was realizing that there was nothing wrong with me. Yeah. And knowing that anxiety was a feeling that it was okay to have. I think I kind of became friends with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now when I get anxious, I know that it will pass eventually. Mm -hmm. But I'm allow I allow myself to feel it. That was one of the main things, right? Knowing that all of the feelings are are good, that there's no good feelings or bad feelings. That was the very first one, just to allow me to feel the anxiety, and knowing that I was fine, and separating. The second part was it allowed me to start separating my thoughts and said, okay, so. Once I recognized the feeling, right, that was part of one of the things that yoga helped me and, and hiking is that once I start recognizing my feelings, taking those two seconds between your feeling and the reaction mm. and say, okay, I have a choice. Knowing that I have a choice to do something different. Ooh, that's so good. There's so much power in that pause. like. Just that little pause can shift everything where it's like, am I going to go back to the way that I used to do it? Or am I going to reprogram a different way? And maybe the different way is worse. I don't know. But like, let's try a different way. And then your body starts to like crave the way that feels better. It's very, it, it can be instantaneous. It can be slow. It can be gradual. But either way, it's like, okay, how do I follow what feels actually good for my body? It's what I think about too. And the thing about what you said maybe is, is, is worse 
the thing that I noticed was because I had those thoughts, right? Oh, what if it's going to be, this is going to be worse. It's like, I'm not going to know if it's going to be worse until I try it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be keep, I'm going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. The only way that I'm going to know if it's good or bad is to do it. So good. And there's I, also this, this little difference between feeling anxious and feeling because sometimes that feeling of anxious is that spinning and that trying to push it away and trying not to experience it which actually escalates the emotion even more rather than feeling it which in my mind is relaxing and opening to the sensation that actual feeling is what allows it to where to to let the emotion work its way through to do what it wanted to do anyway to own it, right? To own own your emotion. And sometimes you do want to be anxious. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I'm like, it's a good thing that we feel anxiety because it keeps us from doing things that would hurt us potentially physically or emotionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, how do I want to deal with it in this situation? Because sometimes it's good. And sometimes we want to, uh, we want to change how we react to that anxiety. So um this has been such an incredible conversation if people are wanting to hear more from you can you tell them a little bit about what you do in your coaching program and how we can find you yeah uh my coaching program what i have is i help women thrive in bicultural marriages right getting getting that part of you where you don't fit on one side when you're married outside of your culture and especially if your husband doesn't speak your language then you don't fit on one side, but you don't feel on the other side either. You're like, I'm never too Mexican enough and I'm never white enough. So I don't fit in either one completely. But the beautiful thing is that we got married for a reason. So that means that our heart and our mind are able to expand and we can fit in both sides with that, or we can belong. Let me change that. We can belong in both sides. We don't have to fit. We belong on both sides, right? Just by being chills. <laughs> so that's what we do is uh, six months because it takes a while for the brain to change and for ourselves to allow us to feel completely. So they can find me, have an Instagram in Aida Mosier Coaching or my website is nap, N-A-A-H-B.com which is a Mayan word. And I used it because you took me back to my roots. It's a Mayan word. It means a water lily and it symbolizes duality, right? Day and night, light and darkness, life and death, which is in a bicultural marriage, you're dual all the time. Oh, I love that so much. And those how you can get a hold of Aida and hear more from her. I'll leave that in the show notes so you can find her there. Thank you so much for joining us. I think this is going to be such a helpful conversation for my audience. Thank you so much, Shelby. It was a pleasure. Are you feeling low energy these days? It might be time for you to hop onto the Monday morning creating energy class. It's at 1130 a.m. Eastern time, 830 a.m. Pacific time 
on Zoom. Click in the show notes and you can get your very own personalized link to the Zoom class and meet us there for a definite shift in your energy and what you're bringing to this next upcoming week. See you at class. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you're looking for a life coach to work with, what are you waiting for? Let's get coaching together today. I hope you have a wonderful week as you take your power back on creating beauty wherever you go.